It's often been said that you shouldn't meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. No one's ever been disappointed meeting me, of course. <laughs> I'm not anyone's hero, I'm just being silly. And look, sometimes I do concur with that. I have met a few of mine and a couple of them weren't particularly nice people. You know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they were having a bad day, maybe I caught them at a wrong time, who knows what was going on in their life in general when you know, I appeared on the scene. But there have been other people that I've met that you know, are heroes of mine and that's been wonderful. You know, I've, I've talked about Mike Stern before, meeting him, you know, multi-Grammy award-winning internationally recognised guitar superstar, fantastic guy, Dave Weckl, you know, uh, you know, the equivalent on the drums, amazing person as well. Robin Ford, I've chatted with him five or six times, another you know, member of the Miles Davis family, um, just a lovely guy. Tommy Emmanuel, I've met many, many times and had some great conversations with. Once again, fantastic guy. So a number of years ago now, I was actually fortunate enough to spend three or four days with one of my favorite fingerstyle guitar players and one of the greatest fingerstyle guitarists in the world too, a gentleman named Billy McLaughlin, perhaps a name that's not well known in Australia, but had a pretty amazing career. And I'd been a fan for him, fan of Billy's for many years before I got to meet him. And he's a lovely guy. And yeah, we, we spent three or four days together and, you know, look, I sat down and played with him. And I've got to say that, you know, um, yeah, we had, we had a bit of a play for a couple of hours. And at the end, he said, man, you're a great guitarist. As I left where he was staying, I was going back to my room, my hotel room, I was doing a few fist pumps in the air. Because, you know, to have someone of his stature internationally as a fingerstyle guitar player, you know, someone that's won Grammys and things like that, saying, man, you're a great guitarist, that meant a lot to me. Now, Billy, uh, look, his story is quite amazing. And... Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of where to start with all of this. When we were playing um, on the second day, I was hanging out with him. He taught me this tuning that I believe he uses pretty much exclusively now, and it's called Dad Eber. I think he may have come up with it. The tuning is D-A-D-E-B-A. -E it's really bizarre. There's so much tension taken out of the guitar neck that it's very, very hard to play. He has a guild that's been specifically set up um, to accommodate the, the um, you know, this tuning with extra bracing and heavy strings and so forth. I had my tailor with me that day and it just, it struggled. Couldn't really stay in tune, um, yeah, with, with what was going on. Anyway, the reason why Billy developed this tuning um, I think it's actually, it's an amazing story and makes him even more inspiring as a person than it, just as a musician. At the height of his career, or what he thought was the height of his career at that time, Billy was diagnosed with focal dystonia. His career looked like it was over as he lost the use of some of his fingers on his left hand. He was actually opening for Jeff Beck um, in LA 
and at the end of a tour. And he thought this would be the last time he ever played guitar professionally. He wrote an incredibly beautiful piece of music called Holland Forever. It was also the last time that he recorded playing in a conventional manner, as uh, you know, I and millions of other people might play. So what was happening um, was that, I think from memory about six months before this, Billy had started to feel that his, his fingers in his left hand were not responding as they normally do. He was out on tour and you know, he thought, oh, I'm just having a couple of bad gigs and then got a little bit worse and then got a little bit worse and he started getting some very untrue uh, you know, commentary in uh, concert reviews in the press, suggestions that he was either drunk or, or high on something, um, which he wasn't, it really got to him. And then he just felt that things were slipping away. It was just an incredibly challenging time for him. When uh, it was actually diagnosed, when he was diagnosed that he had focal dystonia, he felt like his life was over. And he didn't know what to do. So what he did was, um, he started again from scratch because he hadn't done anything else. He had this burning desire to play music. So for three and a half years or so, he was trying to learn to play in a new way. He has very, very limited use of um, basically his index finger on the left hand. And I think he can use his middle finger a little bit as well. That's it, he can't do very much. And as far as I know, he's the only career musician to ever switch hands um, you know, with so many years of playing in a conventional manner. The tenacity and self-belief that he displayed uh, in developing a whole new system of playing is nothing short of amazing. Now in that time as well, he lost his marriage, he lost his income, he lost his record deal. Everyone felt that his, you know, basically everything that he'd worked so hard for was over. But what he did was he kept at it. And yeah, as I said, it took him about seven years. And after three and a half years or so, he said that he was, he'd been trying to develop this new approach for playing. And it's hard for me to describe, so checking out a video I'll post a link for that um, but after about three and a half years he said he couldn't play you know, he couldn't play five bars of music and he got really really frustrated so he put the guitar away and he thought that's it I'm done with it and he went off and actually had Chinese for lunch and they brought out a fortune cookie and I can't quite remember the exact phrase that was uh, you know on the message inside the fortune cookie but it was you were closer than you think so he actually went home this fired him up for whatever reason he went back to his house got the guitar out and he worked even harder and he developed this whole new you know, style of playing whole new approach that let him overcome the challenges of vocal dystonia so it was about seven years after he had last played professionally that 
he put on a concert. And he played, and he played many of his old pieces. He can't play them all now, um, because of the uh, you know the limitations with the, even with developing a new style of playing. But he believed in himself that much that that is what he did, and he came back. And I've got the DVD. Um, Billy actually gave it to me. In fact, he gave me four when we were hanging out, and it's amazing. Now, I think what we can take from that is that if we really want to achieve something, if we really want to go for something, we can do it. It might be hard. And look, I've been very discouraged and given up on things. I won't lie and say that, you know, I haven't done that. I've been very discouraged as a musician. I've been discouraged by other things as well. And there are things that I've stopped that I probably should have kept going with. But musically... I've had a few kicks in the guts. Most musicians have. That's life. Nothing to the extent of uh, you know what Billy went through. But I've kept going. And I'm still here. And I intend to be here for a lot longer as a musician as well. When you look at Billy, when you look at other musicians and other people, the challenges that they've gone through, don't give up. If you think that you want to achieve something in music, you might need to change how you're going about it. You might need to change the people around you to get there. You might need to change other circumstances. Maybe you even need to change the city you live in. I don't know. But think about what you need to do, what steps you need to take to achieve what your end goal is. If you truly want to do something, 